This is such a cool state. I mean, come on, live free or die. You're the state where the shot was heard around the world. That last Senate I don't know if you're aware you're in New Hampshire. People in New Hampshire don't care about money. You can't buy a vote in New Hampshire. They want to see you, they want to touch you. I would like to do small groups, but if we announce that I'm coming to like a restaurant, all of a sudden there's, you know, a thousand people show up. His imagination must not be married to real power. Why not? You just don't want to see us fall backwards. You go to New Hampshire, there are not any minorities there and nobody lives there. Liar! Thank you, New Hampshire. And now, from the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, the existential flagship of presidential primary activity, your host, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, Neil Levesque, and because every ship needs a rusty anchor, Josh McKelvin. New Hampshire Live starts now. Welcome back to New Hampshire Live. I'm Neil Levesque, the director here at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, here with my great host, co-host, Josh McKelvin. Good afternoon, my friend. Welcome. Well, we have a really special guest here, uh, all the way from Denver, Colorado, Governor Hickenlooper. Welcome. Welcome to the New Hampshire Live podcast. Thanks for thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, I think that we want to dig a little bit into sort of some of your economic thoughts, because I know that you brought the state of Colorado from 40th in the nation. Hold, hold, hold on. Oh, we, we, I want to start with Woodstock. You, you went to Woodstock. <laughs> I mean, I, how many I other did. candidates can say that? I know, uh, I know Mayor Pete can't. Uh, yeah. How did, how did that happen? How did you go to Woodstock? So I grew up outside Philadelphia, and I had a summer job after my senior year in high school. I was working at the Allenwood Steel, Steel Mill. I was working in the basic oxygen furnace. We called it the Big Black Smoke. I, had, I joined the graveyard shift, and my buddy, uh, George Lonsdorf, who was re- he got me into music. He's the one who really opened my eyes, and you know, he would introduce me. I, went, I saw Janis Joplin play at the Electric Factory in Philadelphia, in 1969, and she, they didn't have a green room, so she walked in from the back, and she kind of walked through the crowd, and she had this full-length, like, this really fancy paisley dress on, and I was just sitting there, you know, I was like 17, and I wanted to see what it felt like, so she stepped over me, I, I just, I didn't tug her, I just touched it, and, and Jazz Joplin stopped, and she looked at me, and she goes, down, tiger, down. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, so George got me into all this music, and, and I saw Jimi Hendrix play in Philadelphia. And then he comes and he says, "There's this, there's going to be all the bands. It's Woodside. We got to go. We got it." So we bought the the tickets. I still got the tickets, right? Twenty. You do. Well, they tore the fences down. So, yeah. uh, but the ticket was twenty bucks for three days. That was a lot of money back then. I mean, you know, most shows were two bucks or three bucks. Yeah. Anyway, so. Uh, we drive all the way up in the rain, and, and since I was working the graveyard shift, we didn't leave Philadelphia until afternoon, until after lunch. And we came up, and we were totally unprepared. We had a tent, you know, we had a couple sleeping bags. We didn't bring any food or anything. We got there, it was a pouring rain. It took us seven hours to do the last four and a half miles, because the traffic was, they were so unprepared. And so we finally get off, and we start walking towards Yasker's farm, yeah. Max Yasker's farm. And we pull over on the side and start walking through the mud. And there's just an army of people coming towards us in this muck in the rain. And they're just, oh, my God, it's awful. There's no food. There's no place to go to the bathroom. You can't, you know, it's just, oh. <laughs> and so we, we didn't pay attention. We just kept going towards. But then we got there and they said, well, they torn down the fences. And, and we're not even sure there's going to be a show tomorrow. And it's just the worst thing. And we stopped. We were within sight of, of the festival. And we turned around. We came back to our car. Now, by now, it's about 2.30 in the morning. Uh, and we drove back. Uh, by the time we got through all the traffic, 
We got back to Philadelphia just about to watch the sunrise. <laughs> but no. you, you had the ticket stub, so and you touched it. So no, that's all. No, we had the, the whole tickets. That's awesome. That's when awesome. you have your presidential inaugural, if it starts to rain in the middle of January, it would be the same thing. People tearing down fences. Sorry, Neil. Go ahead. I know you wanted oh, to. Oh, I was to going into the dry question about the economy. But what well, you were fortieth in the nation. All right. Um, your economy when you took over as governor and you moved it right up to number one now. A lot of that has to do with you were a very successful businessman building a brew pub. Right, I built the first locations. Well, I did, built the first brew pub in in the Rocky Mountains. It was, a, I think, the eleventh brew pub in North America, uh, and this was nineteen eighty eight. The rent was one dollar per square foot per year. That's how wow. how forgotten and abandoned this this warehouse district was in Lower Downtown Denver. And you know, we got to, we we worked with the other restaurant owners and got everyone working together. And we we, changed, we stopped calling it Lower Downtown Denver. We called it Lodo, like Soho. We thought we were so hip. We started, started taking advertisements. All the restaurants chipped in together to take advertisements in the Denver Post. So we, we created by working together this real, what my grandfather used to call a real going Jenny. So in other words, it was really beginning to pick up some momentum. And, you know, we went and, and we'd actually help other restaurants open because we thought the competition, our real competition was the TV set. And our job was to get people off the couch, out the door, enjoy life with their families and friends. So that's how we kind of got, got going. And then, you know, after 15 years, we'd opened uh, almost one a year, uh, brew pubs in, in historic buildings, in, in forgotten downtowns, in cities all across the Midwest, each one with local partners, each one with a different name. So the, uh, the Upstream Brewing Company in Omaha, Omaha is the Indian word for Upstream. Uh, we did the Raccoon River Brewing Company in Des Moines. We did the Firehouse Brewing Company in a historic firehouse on Main Street in in Rapid City, South Dakota. I mean, Wichita, Green Bay, Wisconsin. We opened all these restaurants because I love building community together. But anyway, that training, you know, when, when the incumbent mayor of Denver, Wellington Webb, was term limited in 2003, and I'd never run for student council or class president, but I thought economic jobs, that, that this should, what we've done in Lower Downtown, how we collaborated and helped build community in these other cities, was a model. Right, you were working together. We were working together. Yeah. We also were making investments and capital investments that would attract young people. In other words, I think one of the challenges for cities and towns across America is to, to get our young people to come back to our communities. And that should be, I think, a priority uh, for all of us. And that comes from in creating love of place. And there's actually a, a nerdy word that my staff hates me to use, but but, but it is, you know. You got to do it. You already said, you already said uh, I don't it know whether I'm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll use it at the end, okay. uh, just so I don't get <laughs> too you, much trouble too early. But you had no training in this whatsoever. You had no training in government, no training in starting a business. You're a geologist. Yeah, so it's a weird training. But, but I think, in a funny way, and, and people think I'm weird, but I do think God I think you're pushed cool me. already. <laughs> yeah, so, you're definitely the coolest person yeah. on this podcast. So, so I looked at the, at, at the ability to bring young people together. And so as I became, I ran for mayor of Denver, I, I said I would not tear down my opponents to get in, uh, you know, get notoriety to get into the newspaper on TV. Uh, exactly. No attack ads. Are you to do that in the presidential? Absolutely. I've never done a negative ad. I've never attacked any of my opponents. You know, after the election, we've all got to work together. And so I ran for mayor of Denver. I said that we would help lift up the suburbs. I mean, the suburbs are 80% of the metropolitan Denver area. They hate the city. The city hates them. They've always hated each other. It's crazy. The people didn't hate each other. The, the politicians, they benefit from having enemies because it gets you into the media, right? If you're attacking someone, they're attacking you. Right. That's news. Your, your name gets known. I ran on the other direction saying, let's make news by all working together. So 
A, I got, I got elected with 65% of the vote. Turns out the people of Denver didn't hate the people of the, of the suburbs. They liked each other, right? They were each other, right? It was the politicians who hated each other. And then I went down to, out to all the different mayors, and I convinced 34 mayors, every single mayor in the whole area, to unanimously support a tax increase to create 122 miles of light rail track. And this, is, this included 21 Republican mayors. So we got two-thirds of these 34 mayors were Republicans, and we created the largest transit initiative in the country by working together. And you look at, you fly into Denver now, you, you, you come down to Union Station, which, and it's, it's an, it is one of the greatest national models of urban revitalization. But that wasn't the whole story. As we were doing light rail on the tracks, we also, and it's really inexpensive, you could do this in New Hampshire, we did um, bike trails. Bike trails are so affordable, and yet young people love to be on their bikes. Metro Denver now has over a thousand miles of bike trails. People are healthier. And, and, and it makes people healthy. I mean, it's part of the solution for I our long-term health care. only second to uh, Denmark. Right. Oh, Denmark has the most... Well, you know, in terms of thinness. But, but so we, we pushed bike trails. We actually, you know, Red Rocks, we have a natural, uh, a, a natural amphitheater that's amazing for live music. There, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And it, it was doing 32. It's owned by the city of Denver. And it was only doing 32 concerts a year. And I said, well, why don't we do 40? And they said, well, it, it would, the, the, there'd be too many and it would diminish the average attendance and the experience would be less. So how do you know that? They put Starbucks across the street from each other. And they, the attendance goes crazy. And so we did 40 the first year, 53 the next year, 60 the next year. And now, now they're doing 150 concerts a year at Red Rocks. We also gave this little incentive for people to do live music in their, in their, in their taverns or their, you know, their bars. So now Denver, Denver has more live music venues than Austin, Texas, or Nashville, Tennessee. And wow. of, well, but everyone, music is everywhere. And we have songwriters everywhere. Every town should be looking at how, I mean, these are basic ingredients for how you revitalize Revitalize the arts, arts, right? It's know? the arts. It's music. Yeah. It, it is uh, uh, creative industries. It is uh, coffee shops, craft breweries, a brew pub. But you well, know, I mean, outside, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but outside of, of Colorado, people think economic revitalization in Colorado. They think one thing, weed. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's uh, yeah. most people, I should say. No, no, that's a lot of but, but our, our GDP in the, in the state of Colorado is about $340 billion dollars. And the, uh, the legal pot industry is about 1.5 billion, so it's less than half a percent. Not the silver bullet to blow up your brain. Yeah, it's not. It, well, I will say that that the how's whole, it going? Yeah, the 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 pre-existing condition, right? The, the the old status quo, the war on drugs, I think, was an abysmal failure. And I I voted. I I wanted. I I worked against passing this this legalizing recreational marijuana thing because no one else had ever done it. You don't want to, if you're a governor, you don't want to be in conflict with federal law. I mean, they're just, it was just going to be a night. We were worried about spike in, in consumption by teenagers or a spike in sure. people driving while high. Well, so now we're six years into it. And I think it's fair to say that you haven't seen a spike in teenage consumption. We do a study of 24,000 people every two years, a public health study in Colorado. So we know that there's no spike in teenage consumption. There's no spike in people driving while high. You know, we still have problems. There's still a black market. It's not perfect. And I'm the first to say that it's not perfect. But but when, when governors ask me now whether they should do it, I used to say, wait, wait, let's get more data. And for the last year, I've been saying, you know, if your voters vote for it, I mean, I'd still wait, but if your voters voted for it, you should go ahead and do it. I think in terms of the federal government, and this I feel strongly, 
I think the federal government should change the laws to allow those states that have chosen to legalize medical marijuana, they should be able to bank it. Right now, it's, it's against federal law for any bank to have anything to do with marijuana. Right. They can lose their charter. Change that law. Let's, let's delist marijuana. It's a Schedule One narcotic right up there with heroin so that you can't do medical testing with it. Right, so we can't. We know that it has application to autism, people with seizures, but but we're not allowed to do medical research on it. Let, let's delist it as a, as a, a Schedule One pharmaceutical, and then let's also make sure the ag department we're not using the wrong uh, pesticides with it. Uh, make sure banks can do it. I said that already. So anyway, that that stuff. I think the states should have the final decision on whether to legalize marijuana or not. And I could keep this conversation going for a while, and I wish that we could. Um, are you enjoying running? What do you think of New Hampshire? Real quick, and then we'll wrap. And Neil's giving me that hard look. Yeah, but yeah. He's New such Hampshire. a tasha. You know, the thing I love... There's a group waiting for you. The, 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 thing, the thing I love is that, uh, and I've been coming to New Hampshire on and off. My, I have in-laws here. and uh, I love New Hampshire. I think it's... I think it is a, a microcosm of a big part of the, of the heart and soul of, of America. My mother was... Was she grew up in the depression? She bought, you know, she never bought a dress. She sewed everything she wore. She she was widowed twice before she was forty. She raised uh, four kids by herself. That's the grittiness of New Hampshire, right? The gritty, I mean, New Hampshire's tough. They don't look for someone else to solve all their problems, and and they are in many cases willing to, to take responsibility for solutions themselves. I love it, and I love going into people's homes, total strangers, and in fifteen minutes, you're talking about their biggest. Their their deepest secrets, but their 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 wildest dreams. Yeah. It is such a, it is it is, it's been so revitalizing for me, uh, at both Iowa and New Hampshire. They're so different, but they're in, in, in each way. I feel like I'm back to running for mayor the very first. It's time. intimate. It's important too. It's intimate, and I never when I ran for mayor, I'd never run for student council or class president. I, you know, I was almost fifty. I was, you know, I was I was trying to get people to believe in government again. And I feel like I'm doing the same thing again. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people in a granular way about things that they care about. I love it. It's fair to say we're going to see you again? I'll be back. And back on the show? I'll be back on the show. Okay. And you got to end with the word. Taskmaster? <laughs> right, oh, do, I can't. do we want to tease the word? Oh, yeah, your what? staffers in the room giving you the look and the eye roll. We'll just, we'll just say the word All right, the, word, the end of the show. The, the word is topophilia. And that means love of place. It's if that's not an SAT word, I don't know what is. But Topophilia. Yeah. Love a place. I'm making it in my license plate. <laughs> Governor, best of luck. Thank you, Governor. All right, thank you.